millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. They say happy mummy, happy baby. And I can tell you that when my baby slept, I was one happy mummy. And sleeping was something they always did well. In fact, so keen was I on getting them to sleep that I brought them a natural mat mattress to make them as comfortable as possible. So I'm delighted that this episode is sponsored by Natural Mat Baby, who've been hand-making 100% natural and organic baby and children's mattresses from their Devon workshop for over 20 years and were the first company in the UK to create a completely natural nursery mattress. These mattresses combine carefully selected natural materials, including organic coir, natural latex and organic lamb's wool for supreme comfort and breathability. Did you know babies can't regulate their body temperatures, so it's super important that they sleep on a mattress that helps them do this. Natural mats materials are naturally breathable and self-ventilating, helping your baby get the good night's sleep that all of you need. Hypoallergenic, completely chemical-free, these mattresses are the ideal choice for your baby and you. Confession, I saw how well my baby slept and so I bought myself a topper from their adult range and it's dreamy. Learn more about the importance of a natural night's sleep at naturalmat.co.uk or head to their Notting Hill showroom to have a browse. Listeners can receive 20% off their first purchase of all mattresses and bedding in Natural Mat's nursery category by using the code PARENTHOOD20, all capital letters, at checkout online or in store. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. I'm excited to be bringing you a series of podcasts in association with the Portland Hospital. Over the next weeks, we'll bring you unique access to the expertise of some excellent medical professionals at the Portland Hospital. Today, our topic is early pregnancy, something because we're told to keep our pregnancies a secret in the early days, we don't talk about enough. But it's a time when evidence-based information is crucial, when understanding from someone who really knows is imperative. So I'm delighted to welcome Miss Emma Kirk to The Parenthood today. Emma is an obstetrician and gynecologist with a special interest in early pregnancy and an expert in early pregnancy ultrasound. She works at the Portland Hospital as well as within the NHS. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Marina. 
Um, I think people often freak out a little bit when they're pregnant. It's such a massive thing, the idea of growing a, a baby in your stomach that you sort of think, oh, my gosh, I should be doing something differently. Um, what, what should people do when they find out that they're pregnant? Um, I think like you said first thing is don't panic Um, often we have people coming in you know saying what can I do what can I not do I think you've got to remember from the beginning that pregnancy isn't an illness Um, and you know it's very natural process and um, yeah I think you know yes there are certain things you should be doing such as you know taking prenatal vitamins and you know you will have to book for your antenatal care and things but you know on the whole, it's a, you know, a time not to be panicking. And I think maybe, you know, seeking information from, you know, correct, um, reputable um, sources will very much help you. And then, you know, you should be enjoying this journey. Yeah, this sort of really exciting thing that a cluster of tiny cells is slowly being turned into a little human is is something that I remember being sort of having this like wonderful secret that was always with me and being so excited about it. In terms of uh, prenatal vitamins, the important one is the folic acid. Am I right in understanding that? Yep, absolutely. Um, Folic acid. And it's also a recommendation now that all women should be taking vitamin D. So I think in most of the -the over-the-counter preparations you can buy, there will be a combination of the minimal dose of folic acid and vitamin D that is recommended. And in terms of pregnancy tests, I mean, taking a pregnancy test is now such a sort of unconsequential thing. It's literally just peeing on a stick. Part of me was thinking, is it definitely right? Do I need to do another one to make sure? If you've had a, a positive pregnancy test, does that definitely mean you're pregnant? Well, yes, we can. Anybody that's had a positive pregnancy test is being pregnant. But we know these days that actually pregnancy tests, you know, they can be positive before you've even missed a period. And for some women, unfortunately, they'll do a pregnancy test before their period has come, they will then bleed as if it was a normal period. And in fact, their pregnancy tests will pretty much turn negative very soon after that. So, you know, yes, for that moment in time, you were pregnant. But you know, having a positive pregnancy test doesn't mean you'll always end up with a baby, sadly. But on the whole, yes, home pregnancy tests are very sensitive these days. And certainly, you know, I don't routinely um, repeat a pregnancy test. I believe if a woman has said she's had a positive pregnancy test at home, I take it that she's pregnant. And when can you do a scan from or when should you be doing scans after a a pregnancy test? Because usually most people get a a positive pregnancy test at around four weeks gestation, which is usually two weeks after they've actually conceived. And and when should you when should you be doing scans or when can you be doing scans? Well, I suppose you're asking, you know, it depends on the reason that you want to do the scan. Um, Of course, um, if you just want a scan to show a baby with a heartbeat in the right place, the best time to have a scan is around about seven weeks. That's when hopefully we can reassure you that your pregnancy is fine, because that's when we should definitely be able to see a little fetus with a heartbeat. Now, you know, there will be some women that we scan much earlier in the pregnancies, for example, women that have had a previous ectopic pregnancy, which is a pregnancy that's grown, you know, outside of the um, endometrial cavity, the lining of the womb. And there'll be other people that will present with pain and bleeding very early in pregnancy. Um, and we want to do a scan much earlier than that 
to know exactly where the pregnancy is. Um, although we have pregnancy tests that do tell you, you know, some of them can tell you how many weeks you are, they aren't those aren't particularly accurate at dating a pregnancy. And we know women, we're not always that reliable at remembering when our last periods were and things. So we can't always go on the kind of gestation according to the woman's last period as to how pregnant she is. So I think if, you know, if a woman has pain or bleeding, yes, we can scan at any time. And actually the earliest we can see a very, very small sack is probably to do at the end of the um, the fourth week, so just around about the five week mark. And obviously, so on the NHS, you're not routinely offered an early pregnancy scan. So usually, the first scan, all being well, um, is yeah. offered at, at twelve weeks. But I know that that's sort of one of the the benefits of of private healthcare is that you can potentially choose to pay for your own scan at at um, six weeks, seven weeks, so that you can just check that all is potentially looking all right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Unfortunately, on, with, um, you know, standard antenatal care, certainly in the UK, you get two um, standard ultrasound tests. Um, examinations one at 12 weeks that's when they you know for often women it is their first scan where they measure the baby and they also do offer women some form of screening for chromosomal abnormalities and then other women then women also get another scan at about 20 weeks when they're really looking at the anatomy of the baby now other women you know will get other scans during the pregnancy but for women those are often the only two and like you said the first one isn't until you are you know kind of three months pregnant which is a long time to wait when you've been wondering what's going on with this little cluster of cells with inside me so you know yes there are early pregnancy units um in all NHS maternity units which scan women with complications in early pregnancy but you know certainly with the COVID pandemic we haven't been able just to offer women reassurance scans as freely as maybe women would like and certainly that is one of the benefits of of being able to come for a private scan is to see your pregnancy very early on. And what are the benefits of, of having an early scan? Um, well, I think, you know, the benefit is reducing your anxiety about the pregnancy. Um, we know that unfortunately, some women will have their first scan at 12 weeks and will find that actually the pregnancy had failed maybe six weeks before. So, um, you know, that's a long time for a woman to wait around. And psychologically, that's not good because they've been, you know, when they think back, they've been carrying around a failed pregnancy for over six weeks. So I think, you know, it, it's good for women to have an earlier scan so that it actually confirms and reassures them that the pregnancy is fine and also allows earlier detection if there is a problem. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things you're mentioning is that women who've had previous ectopic pregnancies often routinely get um, offered early scans. So I guess one of the other, you know, benefits is just double checking that the pregnancy is in the right place. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I think people, though, have to remember that the scan doesn't change the outcome of the pregnancy. Um, I see lots of women, you know, who have a bit of pain or bleeding or something, and they come for an early scan in pregnancy. And they might have been to a local A&E department, they might have had to wait hours, and are then very upset that they don't get a scan that night, that they are referred for a scan the next day. And often people think, well, actually, if I'd been scanned, 
that night my pregnancy would now be okay if unfortunately they were diagnosed with a miscarriage and of course that's not the case um pregnancies don't alter the outcome but they hopefully just reassure you or allow earlier diagnosis and with an early scan just to prepare people who might be listening it's very often not on the tummy it's usually a vagina an internal scan mostly Yes, absolutely. Yes. So the best way to um, visualize a pregnancy, certainly less than about eight to nine weeks is to perform an internal scan. So that's a small probe that goes inside the vagina. In fact, most, it, although it sounds horrific, most people find it much more comfortable than having a tummy scan in early pregnancy. Because unfortunately, if you're having an abdominal scan, we need you to have a very full bladder. And that can actually be more uncomfortable than just having the probe inside the vagina. And actually, the advantages of having an internal scan are that we see everything on scan about a week before we would have seen it on a transabdominal scan. Of course, you know, we can't make women have an internal scan, but we can just give them this information. And of course, you know, if you are pregnant and just do not want an internal scan, just remember to turn up with a a full bladder for your ultrasound examination. Yeah. And I remember being sort of very worried that it was going to be, you know, quite indiscreet. But actually, you know, they put a a blanket over your legs and, you, you know, obviously you know very often your partner's there and it's not it's not not gratuitous in any way it is you know it is it is very discreet oh yeah and it's it's far more comfortable than for example having a smear test taken and you know the lights are down yeah I think most people even though they may be very reluctant to have it done at the beginning find it absolutely fine and so I think most people understand that kind of drinking in pregnancy is not a good thing. So obviously, when you've got that uh, positive pregnancy test, it's important to maybe stop drinking. I know a lot of women have have already. Um, but otherwise, in terms of eating, is there anything that women should absolutely not eat in, in early pregnancy? Or can they sort of continue as as normal? Yeah, that, that's always a very difficult one because women come in and often ask me, what can I eat? What can I drink? And of course, you know, you you know, as I said, pregnancy is not an illness. You pretty much can eat anything and drink anything in moderation. Now, yes, there are some things that we very much say to avoid. And that's things like um liver not that I think many people eat a lot of liver this day these days but liver is something that we say not to eat because of the high vitamin a levels other things are things like certain fish that contain very high mercury levels such as swordfish again not something I think people eat on a regular basis but you know some things like tuna they also contain lots of mercury or can contain higher mercury levels now eating the odd tuna steak that's fine. But if you're eating, you know, six tins a day, you probably want to cut down. Um, As regards to alcohol, you know, often the advice is no alcohol at all, then the, the latest recommendations will be, oh, the odd glass is fine. But actually, I think you've got to do what you feel is right. You know, there I'm, I always say to people in early pregnancy, there aren't lots and lots of studies, you don't get 100 women and say 50 of them eat, drink, take this drug and see what happens to your pregnancy, and the other 50 don't, you know, so there are very limited 
studies. But I think the main thing is that you don't panic if you have eaten a piece of liver, if you have had a glass of champagne or three glasses of champagne when you you know, found that you would have been pregnant. Don't panic. You know, most of the things that are associated with, you know, um, things like fetal alcohol syndrome, they are associated with persistent, constant use throughout the pregnancy of drinking alcohol. And I, I always feel that it's a bit of a sort of mean trick that our bodies, we can only actually find out we're pregnant when we've missed a period usually. And that by that stage, we've been pregnant for two weeks because I know lots of people just think, oh, my goodness, two weeks ago, I had a big party and drank lots of champagne. Yeah. Um, is How likely is it that you've damaged your baby unwittingly by drinking or eating things before you were pregnant, before you knew you were pregnant? I think the risk is very, very small. Okay. Of course, yes, there may, you know, there are certain drugs, normally prescription drugs that we know women should not be conceiving on. And of course, you know, if you have taken certain prescribed medications, it's very important that you speak to your doctor about that. Um, But, you know, most things, again, it is sustained use without a pregnancy. And if you've only been using it, you know, eating this or taking anything in that those two weeks, the risk is very small. Yeah. And probably actually the stress about it is potentially doing more damage than, you know, the three glasses of champagne before you knew you were pregnant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's all relative because often I see women that may be very, very stressed about that glass of wine they drank. But in this, in this, the next sentence is, well, can I fly to Australia next week? And, you know, that carries risks as well in pregnancy. So it's all a balance. And it's, it's funny how we, you know, some things we don't um, perceive as being of any risk and others, um, you know, we think are absolutely fine, you know, are not fine. And I know flying is a concern for people. Um, I think the concern is is radiation exposure uh, while you're flying. Is that something that people should think seriously about? Or is it more the sort of stress of long haul flights that is potentially has, has adverse effects? Yeah, I think with the certainly with the long haul flights, yes, there's the risk of radiation. There's also the risk of developing blood clots in your legs or lungs. Um, pregnancy is um, a state where our blood is thicker than normal and we are more prone to blood clots so that combined with a long-haul flight isn't great but doesn't mean you can't go on flights you know we encourage you to wear you know the anti-thromboembolic stockings also to get up and walk around when possible on the flight and to keep well hydrated so you know I mean, the other thing about flying in pregnancy is, you know, where are you going? Why are you going? And what happens if you were to, you know, something was to happen to the pregnancy while you were away or you were even at risk of having the baby abroad? So I think those are more kind of important issues to be looking at. Yeah. And and then exercise is another another thing we I know that obviously exercise is really important for us it's important for us to continue exercising um into the pregnancy we know that um mothers who who maintain a, a degree of exercise it's, that's really sort of beneficial in terms of you know their pregnancy and also the labor but is there anything people should avoid um no i don't think there's any Sports. I would say that women shouldn't kind of take up new sports in pregnancy. We know there are marathon runners out there that have continued to run during their pregnancies, but you know, you're not going to take up marathon running if you've not won 
ran one before. Um, yes, there are other sports that we, you know, are a little bit more dangerous than others, such as horse riding. Again, women do horse ride when they're pregnant, but of course there is the risk of you falling off. So there are those kind of sports that are dangerous potentially to you and the baby. Um, we- Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Which we wouldn't advocate that you do. And I mean, you know, while especially in early pregnancy, when when really we are talking about a cluster of cells, I know that people think, well, you know, I'm a safe skier or I'm, I, mean, I ride my bike. How much damage could I potentially do to this sort of cluster of cells? But I guess it's more to do with you. And if you injured yourself and then you needed a general anesthetic, that is potentially um, dangerous to the pregnancy. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um and at at this stage, I think one of the biggest questions, you know, teaching antenatal classes, and I speak to women in early pregnancy um, a lot, people are very concerned with all of these questions. But I always say, you know, one of the big questions that need to be thinking about is thinking about what obstetric care they would like to go forward, you know, uh, to receive, because it's not just in the UK, and we're very lucky, I guess, uh, it's not just a question of, going to have your baby there are various different choices that people I think in the early pregnancy should start thinking about so that they get to the right decision that sort of suits them could you go through vaguely what how how do people give birth in the UK what are the different options in terms of um, you know where, where you can give birth and how you can give birth okay so there are basically kind of two possibly three options so of course you know majority of women will deliver their babies under the care of the NHS so that of course is is available to everybody that's entitled to NHS care the other option is for private care okay and then there's also an option for women who maybe will ultimately end up delivering on the NHS but want to do a kind of bit more of a hybrid thing and have some visits with a private clinic um, and have maybe some of the additional tests and things that we can offer 
Now, I always tell women there's actually no difference in the way you deliver a baby, whether it's um, on the NHS or in a private hospital. You know, babies come out the same way. A cesarean is a cesarean wherever it's take, it takes place. And a vaginal delivery or a forceps delivery or water birth is the same wherever. But I think it's really the the care you have and your experience um that differs between you know the, the different settings um and i guess you just get more you have more appointments if you're concerned you know so you, you have you have that continuity of care don't you i mean that's the big benefit of, of yeah yeah um, certainly on the NHS, the, the care is very standardised. You know, we have set recommended visits. And I think that is also echoed in the private sector. I think the thing with the um, delivering and having private care is the care can be much more tailored towards you. Um, you know, appointments could be at more appropriate times for you. And the big benefit is that you will be seeing the same members of staff. And that's whether that's a, yeah, an obstetrician or a midwife, because I know, you know, a lot of uh, uh, there are options to be looked after, you know, under the general care of an obstetrician, but, you know, with with a sort of dedicated midwife. Absolutely, absolutely. Unfortunately, if you have any high risk problems, if you yourself have got med any medical problems, or we think the baby has any medical likely possible complications, um, it is recommended that you have consultant led care. And even if you're on the NHS and initially under the care of the midwives, if there is a problem, your case will always be escalated towards a consultant. Um, but of course, privately as well, you can have women that opt for consultant-led care right from the start or those that actually would prefer to be looked after midwives throughout their pregnancy. And when should people get in touch with consultants? Uh, when, 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 at what point do you sort of sign up? Because presumably consultants have X amount of time and they can't take on uh, an indiscriminate amount of people. What sort of time frame should people be thinking about this? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, much as the recommendations are for NHS care, actually, the, the, the guideline is that women are seen and booked before eight weeks of pregnancy. And I would really suggest that as well is if you're looking for private care. Of course, it will depend on your obstetrician and how booked up they are they are as it were because yes um unfortunately we're all only human and only take on so many deliveries per month um each year so yeah so ideally that the sooner that you can commit the better yeah and presumably there's an option to sort of meet your obstetrician before you sign up to them because I'm a big believer that it's a sort of partnership you're working with an obstetrician and that you need to have a sort of level of trust and and respect and you know like with lots of people in the world different people have different personalities and different personalities work well with different people I feel really strongly that it's important for you know people who are thinking about selecting their obstetric care to maybe meet a few obstetricians and and work out who's going to be the right person to to you know partner with this for this wonderful experience yeah absolutely absolutely yes you know you you've got to feel comfortable with your obstetrician and certainly you know coming for an early pregnancy scan is a wonderful time to come along have a scan meet that particular obstetric team um, and see if you like them and want to continue your care with them and there are also I mean 
there are also other things to consider. Like, you know, I know that some people absolutely love the idea of giving birth in a hospital. The more doctors, the better. That's really reassuring. But there are also some people that find that kind of hospital environment really um, intimidating. So you can also have your baby at home, can't you? Yes, you can. Yes, certainly um, all NHS um, midwifery teams will have a home birth team where you can be assessed. And if you want um, uh, to deliver at home, of course, that's your, you know, that's your right to be able to choose that. And then, you know, also for people who who are maybe not so keen on being in the hospital hospital, you know, there are birth centres, which are sort of home from home environments sometimes attached to hospitals, sometimes separately, but run by midwives um, that are a great sort of in-between, aren't they? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yes. Most um, maternity units will have a kind of low-risk midwifery unit, birth or birth unit, whatever you would like to call it, next door or very close to the main obstetric unit, which, you know, has the bonus that hopefully it's kind of less medicalised, but you have obstetricians around. Should there be a problem, they can intervene and you can get transferred. And yes, you're quite right. There are in certain areas of the country standalone birth units, which are you know, only um, staffed by midwives. And I mean, obviously, one of the things that none of us really want to think about, but I think have to think about is the fact that miscarriage in the first trimester is relatively high. And that you alluded to it before, you know, a positive pregnancy test doesn't always mean that you're going to get a, a baby at the end of it. Um, what, how common are miscarriages in the, in the early, in the first trimester? Okay, so yeah, um, the rates were like a, a little bit difficult to um, ascertain, but really we're probably looking about at least twenty percent of miscarriages of pregnancies miscarry. So about one in five pregnancies will miscarry. Um, so it is very common, and it is so common that unfortunately if a patient has one miscarriage we don't routinely investigate the cause of why it's happened it's normally happened because something has gone wrong genetically with the pregnancy and I see a lot of women you know who if you tell them that their pregnancy probably failed a week ago they are absolutely scrutinizing their life looking what did they do that week you know seven days ago did they carry too much shopping did they pick up their toddler did they you know go horse riding and I think the main thing is again don't blame yourself it is one of those things that was unfortunately there's nothing you can do about it and how how does a, a, a miscarriage manifest itself? Do you always know when you're having a miscarriage? Yeah, not always, sadly. So, um, you know, most women will present with some pain and um, bleeding is the, is the biggest thing, bleeding. You know, but that bleeding may only be a light bit of spotting or, of course, it may be heavier bleeding and then it's very obvious to the woman that that's likely what is happening some women will just have a reduction in their pregnancy symptoms they might have been feeling very sick and have you know lots of breast tenderness and they literally wake up one day and that has all gone now the only way for us then to tell them if the pregnancy is okay is to do a scan and you know for many women the pregnancy will be fine but unfortunately some women that will be a sign that their pregnancy has failed for what some women, there are absolutely no real signs. And those are often the poor women that turn up for their 12 week scan and 
at the time of their scan get told that unfortunately the pregnancy is not developed yeah and that's that's you know like you said usually nothing that you've done and it's it's when do they start investigating miscarriages is it after two or three miscarriages well there's been a huge amount of um controversy over this really recently um always before we were used to say that you had to have three miscarriages and you still have to have three miscarriages to be investigated in a lot of clinics but certainly um guidance from certain european fertility societies and things now suggest that we should be offering people investigations after two again this is something that you know if you go for private care we can obviously investigate at any stage I personally don't advocate investigating after just one because it is very likely that that genetic mishap was a one-off and is unlikely to occur again so I often tend to you know kind of reassure women and just say try again rather than dwelling on and undergoing lots of multiple investigations that may not have been necessary. And how quickly can you try again after a miscarriage? So um, historically, we were always told it had to be six months. You had to wait six months before your cycle came back and, and, you know, then you you rested and then you tried but now actually there's lots of evidence to say as soon as your body is ready so as soon as you've had a period you probably should just get on and try again as long as you feel emotionally ready um and certainly pregnancy rates have shown to be higher if a woman tries to conceive again immediately after a miscarriage and obviously having had a miscarriage first time round there's sort of even more to worry about how do you manage that anxiety of of you know they say lightning doesn't strike twice but sometimes it does how do you manage that anxiety of sort of not knowing yeah so I mean the the only way that really can manage this at the moment is to offer reassurance ultrasounds scans so if I've had a woman that's miscarried I often say to her you know would you like to come back for another scan in about two weeks time so as long as the scan interval is kind of around the two weeks mark that's fine. Now, for some women, you know, the only reason I'm offering them the scan is for their reassurance. I can't change the outcome of this next pregnancy with a scan. But some women actually find it more stressful coming back for another scan, because they're so apprehensive, you know, are you going to see a heartbeat or not, that it's actually almost kind of counterproductive. Yeah, absolutely. And then as you approach 12 weeks, um, you've obviously got the 12 week scan, which is something that's offered uh, universally. But um, you also can do um, some testing just before 12 weeks, which gives you a really good window into how healthy the pregnancy is and whether there are any chromosomal abnormalities. Yes. So there is something called non-invasive prenatal testing. So this involves taking a blood test from the mum and we can actually test your blood and pick up the baby's kind of genetic material. Um, So that's a very good way and a very much more sensitive test now um, at detecting whether the baby is likely to have a chromosomal abnormality such as Down syndrome, the trisomy 21. Now it is only a screening test so it won't tell you for certain that the baby is or is not affected, but it just gives you, you know, a high or low chance, which is can be really reassuring. Unfortunately, if you know it 
you do come back as a high risk, the benefit of us detecting it earlier uh, is that we can offer you an earlier termination if that was the route that, you know, someone felt they wanted to go down. And, you know, terminating a pregnancy earlier is much less traumatic um, a procedure than later in the pregnancy. And um, the, this um, non-invasive prenatal testing, that's something that's not offered routinely within the NHS. So that's typically something that even, you know, if, if you were someone that, you know, had chosen to have their care looked after by the NHS, you could additionally add that on the, the non-invasive prenatal testing. And that's obviously much less significant cost than having your entire pregnancy looked after by a, a private consultant. Yeah, absolutely. And we often see women for that test, that testing. Unfortunately, yes, it is a much better test than the kind of routine screening offered on the NHS. And you do get it offered on the NHS if the routine screening, which is often the combined test that they do at 12 weeks, comes up as high risk. So again, you wouldn't be being offered that on the NHS until probably 13 or 14 weeks. But you you know, privately, you can pay to have that test done from 10 weeks. So Emma, we've obviously had much of this conversation talking about the excitement and joy and anticipation of finding out that you, you're hopefully going to become a parent. But obviously, there are a, a group of women who do a pregnancy test, and that positive pregnancy test is not a good thing. Um, presumably, it's still really important for them to seek professional advice so that they can take an informed decision about what the best outcome and what the best path is for them to to pursue yeah absolutely um yes i think this is a really important area that we often forget we think that people with a positive pregnancy test are always happy about it and you know some people may eventually be happy about it but yes it's important that you know, you come along, you see a health professional, you talk, you know, there are other options and, you know, help them support you. And there are certainly lots of organisations and things we can put people in touch with if they are having, um, you know, ambivalent feelings about the pregnancy. Well, and I, I presume too that talking to a professional about, you know, your options, but also kind of getting your head around what it actually means to to have a have a child is such an important part of that decision making process. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, it may it may not be just because you're pregnant and you you weren't trying. You know, some people that struggle the most are people that desperately want to be pregnant but have actually maybe lost a pregnancy before and just feel that they can't go through that again. And so, you know, having an early scan, reassuring them and supporting is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Emma, um, it sounds like you, you are a great, fantastic resource. I, I wish actually everyone had sort of access to um, someone as compassionate and knowledgeable, but they sort of do. I mean, I know that, you know, the first port of call certainly within the NHS is speaking to your GP, but otherwise, um, you know, looking and seeing what other options are available in your area. I know that um, the Portland Online, the website is actually a great resource for finding out what's available and what the different options are and, and different as, as well as sort of broad information. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, GPs are very busy doctors. And sometimes I think people don't realise they think they have to wait until they have spoken to their GP before they can access anything. And certainly now, even on the NHS, you know, women can directly refer for antenatal care and things. And that hopefully takes the pressure off some of the, the GPs as well. Perfect. Well, Emma, thank you so much for your time today. Um, It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Um, And thank you to the Portland Hospital for sponsoring this episode of The Parenthood. If you'd like to find out more about what the Portland can offer, search the Portland Hospital or visit theportlandhospital.com. In the meantime, thank you for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Emma and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>